something I thought of too. You were talking about the new member tour. Could it be that people's member orientation tour is like their first time being in the store they're going to be shopping and working at? Absolutely. I'm guessing for most people, it probably is. Like you said, unless you've been there with a friend or a family member who is a member, you probably have never made it past the pearly front gates, right? Hi, everyone. This is Anastasia, your host of the only podcast from Littleton, New Hampshire's only community-owned grocery store, the Littleton Food Co-op. That's Rad is based out of Littleton, but we're all about celebrating the diversity of cooperative experiences. So far, you've heard from international co-ops, housing co-ops, dairy co-ops, and more. Today, I want to continue on that trend by introducing you to my new friend, Ashley, from the Park Slope Food Co-op in Brooklyn, New York. For those of you not as deep in the cooperative trenches as I am, the Park Slope Food Co-op is somewhat of a legend in our world. It is known for its exclusivity and secrecy as to what goes on inside its mere 6,000 square foot space in the Park Slope neighborhood. There was even a movie produced about it in 2016. Now this is just one person's experience and it certainly doesn't represent the ideas and opinions of the Park Slope Food Co-op, but I hope it satisfies that constant little person in the back of your mind who's always asking like, what is the Park Slope Food Co-op really like? Or is it just me that has that little person back there? In any case, this will be a chance to hear from someone cool about something new. Here's my interview with Ashley now. All right, everyone. So today on the podcast, I feel so honored to be joined by my new friend, Ashley. Ashley, thank you so much for taking the time to come on Bath Brad today. Any excuse to talk about co-ops, I'm there. <laughs> so Ashley is like my new best friend. And I say that only half, half seriously, uh, because we've met exactly once in person. Although maybe, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen between now and when this episode comes out? But anyways, Ashley, I felt like I couldn't start the episode any other way than sharing how we met. Oh, absolutely. It was a total (laughs) co-op meet cute. (laughs) I love it. We got to copyright that phrase. We got to use that. So basically, I was at the Wilson Food Co-op doing my thing, working, as you do, and these two people come up to my register to check out, as as one also does, and, you know, my your little typical co-op spiel, I'm like, oh, are you folks members with us? And they politely were like, no, we're members of a different food co-op. And instead of saying, you know, oh, too bad, whatever, I got a little curious, as I do, and I was like, oh, what co-op? And Ashley says, the Park Slope Food Co-op. 
in Brooklyn. I don't know if you're familiar with it. And I said, am I ever? The Park Slope Food Co-op, at least in my mind, and I think in many people's minds in the cooperative world, is kind of like this holy grail, famous co-op, like the co-op of the co-op. And it is known for being a pretty exclusive, not much information gets out about them kind of deal. So I was instantly curious, and I think, Ashley, you could see it on my face, because I remember you said, you were like, it's everything you've heard and more. Yes, I will also say that uh, that's how I feel about the Park Club Co-op, so it's very exciting for me to get that reaction from someone else, because usually people are like, okay, cool, whatever, but I could tell you were fully on board. They're like, okay, what does that mean? My first reaction was like, it would be so cool to talk to her on the podcast, because As you all know, we like to get different perspectives of co-op, different sectors within the co-op world. Um, We've spoken to members of different food co-ops before. So that was my first thought. But I was like, this is, like, that would be weird. Like, we literally met, like, 30 seconds ago. (laughs) And that, that's just, like, too much to ask of someone, like, upon immediately meeting them. So Ashley pays for her stuff. Two of them leave the store, and I'm I'm sitting there in a puddle of my own regret. And then I'm like, you know what? Life is too short for regrets, especially at the co-op. So you know what? I grabbed my little sticky notepad. I yelled to someone, I'll be right back. And I ran outside, ran across the entire parking lot like the crazy person I am known to be and tracked down Ashley and I said, hi, I have a co-op podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And I think the rest is history. Pretty much, yeah. I think my friend was like, oh, you came to the right person. She's definitely going to want to be on your podcast. And I was like, yep. Yeah. So, yeah, and here we are. So I am very excited to bring all of the Vastrad listeners a more inside scoop into the Park Slope Food Co-op. So you're a member, which we'll get into, but also just like the obvious disclaimer of, you know, this is not any official information or official opinions of the Park Slope Food Co-op. This is solely based on your Ashley's experience, putting that out there because it's important to say. And I think, too, we're, we're excited to have more of a personal, a personalized experience profile versus, you know, anyone can go on the website, but this is the real deal. So I'm, once again, very excited. Yep, happy to give you all the inside scoop of this uh, single little member. So before we get into that, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? What does your life look like outside of the great world of co-op? Well, when I'm not shopping at the Park Slope Food Co-op, 
on the rare occasions I venture out into the world. Um, <laughs> I I do live in Brooklyn. I live in Park Slope. I'm sure you'll be surprised to hear. Um, although, as we'll get into, the membership of the Park Slope Food Club is not just in Park Slope. They're actually all over New York City and even beyond the city, which is super cool. Um, I'm very fortunate to live very, very close to the co-op. And that, yes, that was um, a factor in my uh, apartment selection. Definitely took that into consideration. Um, I've lived in New York for almost 10 years, most of it in Brooklyn, and quite a bit of it in Park Slope, and I absolutely love it here. I'm originally from Ohio, but New York is certainly home now, and especially Brooklyn. I work in the nonprofit industry. I work for an organization called Billion Oyster Project, doing oyster restoration and education throughout New York City, which I also love. Really anything that I can do that gets me involved with the city or gets me out and about, walking around, going to Prospect Park. I just, I love living here and I feel like it's a real, I feel very lucky to get to live here. So I try to take advantage of that as much as possible. To me, living in Brooklyn is like being a part of this amazing community and the co-op has actually been a really big part of that and that's one of the reasons I really love it is because it kind of turns what can be a huge ominous city into a really wonderful and close-knit type of community that I think is really special. I'm excited because I'm already seeing sort of a similarity to both of our co-ops in the sense that our co-ops like to be a part of the community, but it's also a way to find community within the co-op. So that's great to hear that you have that same experience that I know myself and many of our listeners have had with the co-op. So since the co-op was a part of your apartment hunting decision, that brings us to how long have you actually been a member in or a shopper at the Park Slope Food Co-op, and how did you choose to get involved initially? So I have a very clear memory of the moment I decided firmly that I was going to be a Park Slope Food Co-op member. I was not living in New York. I had just graduated college, and I was living at home in Ohio for a few months, you know, trying to save up those pennies to make my big escape to the big city. And I think I was just, like, on Google researching neighborhoods in Brooklyn. I'm pretty sure I took some sort of, like, New York Times quiz or something, like, what neighborhood should you live in when you move to New York? <laughs> and one of the ones I brought up was Park Slope. And I was reading about the neighborhood, and, it, you know, it sounded really dreamy and wonderful. And I'm pretty sure in that article it mentioned the Park Slope Food Co-op because, as I'm sure you and many of your listeners know, the co-op is sort of an institution uh, in Park Slope. For better or worse, you know, a lot of things get said about it, but it, it, it is known. And I was reading about this co-op and just everything about it. I was like, yep, 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 this is me. This is my life. This I can, like, see my Brooklyn life. It's coming together, and I'm going to join this co-op. And it was definitely not just a, you know, a hop, skip, and a jump, and then I lived in Park Slope. I ended up living in a neighborhood kind of nearby, but within walking distance to the co-op. And pretty much as soon as I moved in, I went through the process of joining the co-op, becoming a member. That was in 2012. 
and I would just hop on over from my apartment to do my shopping and then and then walk right back and then eventually I actually moved to Park Slope and was even closer but it was yeah it was definitely like this is what my New York life is going to be kind of shaped around this co-op because I had never heard of a food co-op before I had lived in Los Angeles for four years for college and then before that in Columbus Ohio and I'm sure there are co-ops there but they were not on my radar. So the whole concept just really appealed to me. And then especially knowing I was going to be moving to New York somewhere where cost of living is extremely high, as I'm sure most people are aware, the idea that you can have an affordable source of not just groceries, but fresh local produce. And then on top of it, to have this community with events and other ways to get involved and participate As a new New Yorker, all of that just really appealed to me. That's so funny. I never would have guessed that you didn't have any prior co-op experience based on, you know, where I see you now and how much you love it. So a real Yes, I was was a co-op newbie, and I drank the Kool-Aid very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you for supplying the word I was totally looking for earlier. (laughs) Park Slope is an institution. I think that that's exactly how it can be surmised. Yes. I know Park Slope and Littleton are both co-ops, but as we've been hinting around and as many people may know, our membership systems look a little different. So I would love if you could tell us just more about membership at Park Slope and specifically like who can be a member and what membership requires of you? Yep. So, yeah, that's probably the number one question I get asked when people that know anything about the co-op, as it's, as it's mostly known in New York as just the co-op, find out that I'm a member. They want to know, you know, oh, I've heard it's really exclusive. Like, how do you get in? Like, who's allowed to be a member? And I usually just start by saying anyone can be a member. It, a membership is open to all. It is a little bit more, I would, I wouldn't say complicated, but a little more involved than that only because the co-op has certain values that they've kind of laid out to the world, you know, respect for the environment, a commitment to diversity and equality, a commitment to healthy and minimally processed foods, a commitment to keeping prices as low as possible. So I would say for incoming members, if you respect those values and you're kind of on board with that ethos, then the co-op is the place for you and the co-op is ready to welcome you with open arms. The co-op's motto is, I believe, good food at low prices for working members through cooperation since 1973, which is when they were founded. I believe they're one of the oldest co-ops in the country. So that is really important because it's for working members. So the Park Slope Food Co-op is a working membership co-op, which means that Pretty much all members are required to work in exchange for that good food at low prices. So I know that there are other co-ops where you can buy into membership or you have like the option to work or the option to buy in or something like that. And Park Slope is a little bit different than that. You do have to become a member to be able to shop. And then once you're a member, you do have to work a regular shift. There are, of course, exceptions to that, you know, in terms of, like, disability and parental leave. And you can actually retire from the co-op. And so you don't have to work anymore once you hit a certain point And you just get to enjoy the benefits, which I think is really cool. And I look forward so to that cute. day. 
Yeah. But yes, in general, all members are required to work. And, and I think that, you know, can be a turnoff for some people because, you know, they, a lot of people think it's a regular grocery store. So they go there and they try to go in and try to shop and they get stopped at the door and ask, you know, for their membership card. And it feels like a bougie country club or something. But it's really, it's not, that's not the intention at all. And there are signs, you know, all over the front of the building that say membership is open to all and have membership materials for people. It's really, it's just that we, you know, the co-op asks people to take that extra step to kind of show their commitment to to those values and to this idea of cooperation, right? Like we're in this together. We don't get these low prices and this good food just by being a regular grocery store. Like the reason the co-op is able to offer these things is because they don't have to pay an entire workforce of employees because most of their labor is member labor. So it's donated by members in exchange for this amazing array of organic and local and natural products. And to me, that's always made so much sense, right? Like the, the kind of trade-off there. And to be honest with you, I love working my shift and I might be, I might be a rare, a rare one for that. But I think that's like part of the community to me is going in and working my shift with the same people every month. Obviously, that's all been a little bit different in the pandemic. But in general, that's always been a benefit to me more than kind of a a downside, if that makes sense. That does make sense. So in a sense, you're working to kind of pay for your membership. So then did you also have to pay any sort of initial fee or yearly fee in addition to the working? You pay a, I believe when I joined, it was a $25 joining fee. So that's a fee you pay at one time and that's, then that's done. And then you actually, we do a member investment. So you invest a hundred dollars again this is 2012 i think it might be the same but you invest a hundred dollars when you join and that's kind of again you saying i believe in this i'm I'm on board here and if and when you ever choose to leave the co-op you have the option to take that investment back so that's kind of like your skin in the game so to speak so you know all in you're looking at 125 dollars when you join, 100 of which you're going to get back. And I believe the co-op also offers different types of financial aid if that is a barrier for people. It, it, I think it's been important to the Park Slope Food Co-op since their founding to be able to be open to all. Um, that's, you know, being in Brooklyn, an extremely diverse neighborhood, they've always wanted to be able to offer this amazing produce and these amazing grocery options to everybody, not just in this community, but in the wider New York City community. Mm. So I love that you came out of the gate right out of the bat with saying, like, anyone can be a member because that is something we say here all the time, too. And it's it's one of the, I think, overall co-op values is everyone is welcome. That's, that's kind of our phrase here. Kind of obvious with how much you've been gushing about it and save your feelings already. You see the idea of anyone can be a member, but then you have to work to get that membership and the lower prices. You see that as more inclusive versus exclusive. I think so. And I think that, you know, being a member at the co-op isn't necessarily just, you know, you come in and you work your shift and then you buy your groceries and you go home. Like I said, you're really, you're part of a, community and you can have a real say in decisions that affect the entire 
co-op membership as well. There are monthly general meetings, and every member is welcome at those meetings. And at each meeting, you know, different things are voted on or discussed or put out there that are going to affect the future of the co-op, whether it's, you know, which which type of organic mangoes to be stocking, you know, on a regular basis or, you know, like changing the bylaws or changing the vacation policy, you know, whatever it is, like the membership gets a chance to vote on all of those things. So you're, you know, if I was just going to the regular grocery store down the street, like, I have no say in how their workers are treated or how much things cost or store wants to expand to a new building. Like, I don't get to probably even know about any of that, much less have a say in it. So to me, like, it's it's the most inclusive type of grocery store because you're really, you're a part of it. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this because I think it's just one of the most charming little co-op things they actually say at your orientation because there is a member orientation when you are in the store and you can't find something we have like a paging system so anybody can go on the paging system to ask where something is stocked in the store or something exists in the store but you shouldn't just ask somebody that's working necessarily because we're all equals, right? We're all members. They are they are employees even more than I am an employee. You should page out to the full to the full co-op to the full membership. And when you do so, you don't ask. I was wondering. Let's say you know I want dried mango. I was wondering if you have dried mango and where I could find the dried mango. You say I was wondering if we have dried mango. And you'll hear it any time uh-huh. a co-op member, like, talks about the co-op. You always use the word we. Like, oh, yeah, we don't stock that anymore. Or, oh, yeah, we made the decision to, to change this a while ago. And it's, I just think that's so cool. Like, it's such a small thing. But, you know, language is so, so important to, like, how we think about things. And it, it does make it feel like, you know, this is ours this is ours because we're all in this together. We're all equals here. I love that. That's really a great way to show such inclusion. And I mean, I don't know, like, is there some sort of divide or kind of separation you feel between the actual staff of the Park Slope co-op and the like member-based staff? Do you feel any sort of, like, tension or anything there? Because I feel like that simple language change would be, like, a great kind of unifier. Right. I've never felt any tension at all. I would say, like, if anything, they are, like, the most deeply invested in the co-op. I think the co-op is lucky that they, you know, can hire the the best and the brightest people to be on their full-time staff because that staff is so small and so small and mighty. So, yeah, I've I've had fantastic experiences in all of my interactions with staff. And honestly, like, most of the time you don't even necessarily know who's who because everybody kind of, again, just kind of seems, like, equal. Mm. So, yeah, I love that, but I'm also just picturing, like, the chaos that would ensue if we adopted that policy here at Littleton Food Co-op. It's just like, yeah, anyone can use the intercom (laughs) I will say, like, that people, you can bring guests to the co-op, and guests that I've brought to the co-op by far, their favorite part of the entire experience is listening to the things that people 
page out and everyone's very respectful. Like it's not like a constant barrage of people. I think some people are actually very nervous to page out because, you know, you're talking to whatever, a hundred people or something at a time. But it is very, my favorite one, and this happens every summer, you'll hear someone come on the page system and say, um, I'm hoping to buy a watermelon but I don't want to carry a whole watermelon home. Is there anyone in the co-op that would like to split a watermelon with me? (laughs) And every time, like, a barrage of people runs over to the watermelon section and, you know, someone from the basement brings up, like, a big knife and a a watermelon is dissected. Yeah. And, again, like, an amazing example of, like, cooperation and, like, yeah, it's it's so great to be able to just buy half a watermelon, and now we can do it, and the whole thing doesn't have to be, like, wrapped in cellophane, you know? Like, it's, yeah. I just love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so just to clarify, uh, only employees are allowed to use the intercom system at the Littleton Food <laughs> For now, for now. But, Hopefully forever. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> it's funny too, cause like hearing guests, hearing you talk about guests being so excited to hear it, I thought you were gonna say like they were so excited to use it because I'm like it took me like a good three and a half years of working here before I consider myself fully competent on using the phone. So. That's the thing. It doesn't really get abused because I think, if anything, people are extremely nervous to, like, hear their own voice over the full store intercom. (laughs) Oh, I have a full-on love-hate relationship with my job of getting to do these cool interviews and podcasting, but then having to listen to myself speak for however long straight. So it's doing the intercom is, like, micro-dosing that. (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah, it's good practice. Yeah. So, yeah, just to kind of really hone in and clarify and see this difference, here at the Littleton Food Co-op, we don't have a working requirement. Obviously, members are welcome to apply to work here, and employees are welcome to become members, but they are completely different, no intersection in those two processes. We just have our payment uh, right now in the good year of 2021. It is $100 for a full membership, but that's bought in shares. So you can do $25 at a time at whatever schedule you choose. Um, But that's also just like a one-time investment that can be redeemed if you move out of the area or something else comes up. But I really like how you all refer to it as an investment because clearly it goes beyond just the monetary investment of you're investing your time and your energy and your thoughts into making this a better co-op and making it your co-op. Yeah, but now I really want to learn more about your specific working or being a member, I guess you would say, at Park Slope. So can you tell us more about what kind of roles you've had? And I want to know how much say you had in the jobs that you did. Good question. So, yes, when I joined, 
um, and when anybody joins, you are in your orientation that you go through where you get like a tour of the co-op and you learn all about the values that I mentioned and just generally how the co-op works and how working works, you know, all the questions that everybody has. You are at the end of that orientation, you um, sit down with, I believe it is, actually, no, I think it is a member worker um, who's on like a squad dedicated to new members. You sit down with them and basically they like help you find a work spot that works for you. You know, and there's a few things to take into consideration. Obviously, scheduling is a big one. Most shifts that are available at any given time are on, like, the off hours or, like, the middle of the weekday, et cetera. So if you really need a weekend time, that's something you'll have to work with them on. And then, of course, picking what your actual job is going to be. So at the co-op, we have what we call squads. So there are different squads which kind of encompass a lot of different roles. So, for example, the shopping squad is... It probably encompasses the roles most people think about. So that's like, you know, stocking the shelves and monitoring the line and helping people move through the line. The line's a big thing at the co-op. And that's just because, you know, there's so many people. The membership is so big and the store is so small. So it just, you're always, not always, but a lot of the time you're going to end up standing in line. And that's an accepted part of life, I would say, in New York City generally. But definitely it's co-op. And then, you know, Shopping Squad also incorporates um, checkout, cashier, and that kind of thing. So you are assigned to a squad, and then once you're on a squad, you are assigned to a specific shift. So you would you meet every four weeks at the exact same time, and you're always going to be meeting at that time with the same people every time until at some point if you shift shift your squad or shift your shift. So I hope that makes sense. I know it's, it's a little tricky if you've never done it before, but I'll give the example of kind of my journey through jobs of co-op. Um, so when I first joined, I was put onto a really interesting squad. I don't even remember the name of the squad now, but my job was actually like processing like leftover produce to decide what needed to go into compost because the co-op composts any food waste and what needed or what could go to a local soup kitchen that the co-op partners with. Um, and any produce that was in, like, good enough condition to be used but not, you know, for whatever reason, not good enough to sell would then go to the soup kitchen, and then anything that was, you know, super busted would go into the into the compost. So, like, literally my first job at the co-op was, like, basically sorting, like, you know, various states of rotting food. Doesn't sound I'm sure glamorous. It smelled awesome. Yeah, it smelled great. It actually ended up being like very sort of like meditative, right? Like I was working just with one other person. It was like in the basement, so it was really quiet. We were there like really early in the morning. And then at the end of the day, we would take all of this food that couldn't be sold and we would take it to this soup kitchen. We'd actually like physically take it on a like U-boat and wheel it down the street to a to the soup kitchen and that was so cool, right? Like, not only that the co-op did that, but getting to, like, be a part of that felt really special. So that was my first job. And then I eventually needed to switch off of that for scheduling reasons. So I switched on to the shopping squad, which is, I believe, one of the bigger squads at the co-op. So I was assigned to the shopping squad on Monday night at 6 p.m. on D week. There's A, B, C, and D week. So that was my shift. And that was my shift for many years, like, I think seven years maybe 
And once you're in that squad, you can do all kinds of different jobs. And you can even, like, switch jobs every time you come. But most people, I think, kind of get trained on one job, and they like it, and so they kind of stick with it. But within the shopping squad, I did a few different jobs. I did, like, the door monitoring. The co-op, at least before the pandemic, had a system where every single shopper gets their receipt checked when they are leaving the co-op. And somebody, like, highlights the the paid in full statement on the bottom to, I think, I think it like helps minimize theft. So I did that for a while. To be honest, I found that job a little bit boring. So I eventually ended up switching over to checkout. And that's, you know, when I met you at Littleton Food Club, um, what you were doing, that's basically what I was doing at the co-op. So when I switched to doing checkout, I was I was trained. That's a job that involves a little more training. As you know, not just anybody can check out groceries. And I quickly loved that job. I loved everything about it, not just getting to interact with people, which is my favorite thing, but I felt like I got to know, like, the co-op so much better. I got to see everything that we sold. I got to see what people were buying and in what quantities. Um, the co-op is extremely seasonal. They're very respectful of, like, the seasonality of produce. So I got to see what foods were in season when, because those were the ones that people were purchasing. So that was just kind of a perfect fit for me, and I ended up staying in that role actually all the way up until like January of 2020, at which point I I would say I got promoted, but that's not really what happened. I asked if I could be a squad leader because I felt like I was kind of ready for a little more responsibility. Obviously, I love the co-op and I'm all, all in for everything that it stands for. So I actually became a squad leader for a different shift, but still on the shopping squad. So basically just like leading the shift. And that was the job that I did until member labor stopped in March of 2020. And it stopped, obviously, soon because of the COVID pandemic, correct? Yep, yep. Unfortunately, like basically everything else, they had to, they never shut down the co-op, but they did have to shut down member labor just, you know, obvious out of, out of caution for the safety of members and member workers to make sure that everybody could just stay home for a while. And that, you know, that there was a whole, like a whole bunch of changes that had to happen at the co-op so that they were able to stay open and keep, keep serving people. But and it's been a weird and challenging year, but member labor is coming back, so we're all very – well, I'm very excited about it. I, I can't speak for everybody, but I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to, to go work at my co-op again. Do you get the sense that there are members out there who are, like, kind of just working so they can get access in, to shopping, like it's, it is very chore-like, or do you think most people are like you with – they have an enthusiasm for it. I want to believe that most people are like you and like me and love the co-op ethos and love working their shifts because they know it's contributing and they get to see people and all of those wonderful things. But if I'm being honest, I think probably the majority are in the other camp. Um, And that's not to say that they you know, don't respect the club and whatnot, like they are working their shifts because they want to be able to shop at this amazing institution, as we say. But yeah, I think it, it probably for most people is more like a, a chore than, than mm-hmm. an exciting opportunity. <laughs> well, you know, and grocery shopping in general is a chore for many people. So 
It's that's true. Sure, for that's sure. True. Right. It's funny because, like, I also don't think of grocery shopping as a chore. Like, especially during the pandemic, I found this to be so true. Like, the co-op was kind of my refuge. It was a place where I felt, like, safe. Literally, I felt safe because of all of the many, many, many precautions that they were taking to keep people and are still taking to keep people safe. But even, you know, even in, like, the bigger sense of the word, like, it was a place I could go, which, you know, that was a very short list for a while. (laughs) And it was familiar and it was comforting and, you know, literally nourishing. Like, I was getting the things that I needed to survive. Like, I think everybody kind of started to see grocery stores generally in a different light in the pandemic. But I know me personally, I especially, like, I so depended on the co-op, not just for groceries, but just as this kind of safe haven. Mm, mm. I feel very similarly in the sense that I have always loved grocery shopping as well, you know, from the days of going with my mom to the store to then working here and then even in college, like, going to the grocery It's like Friday night, what are we going to do? We're going to go to the grocery store. Um, And then as I started working here, it was like, we're going to go to the grocery store and I'm going to make you quiz me on what the numbers of an avocado is for zero point yes. six, by the way. <laughs> yep. There's a few I have memorized. That was one of them. <laughs> and then when COVID came, I would say for me, it became less of a safe haven just in the sense of now there was this unknown factor being thrown into this place I love so much. But as time went on and we got a better understanding of everything and how to handle it, I think it did turn back into a safe haven and became a new safe haven to many people because we heard so many times, you know, this is the only place I feel safe shopping, which is such a huge statement to make because food is such a necessary part of our lives and therefore food shopping is such a necessary part of our lives that to say your institution is the only place I will go to do this during this global pandemic, like, that's kind of one of the highest frank compliments you can get, I think. Yeah, I mean, that that definitely says a lot. I think, I know the Park Slope Food Co-op during COVID got kind of a, a new reputation as the grocery store with the in insane line to get in because there were days and I lived, you know, close enough that I could see this line where the line to get into the building would wrap around several New York City blocks. Wow. I have no idea how many people that is because, of course, they were socially distanced and whatnot, but people were waiting hours, literal hours to get into the co-op and a lot of my friends were like, you know, what's going on at the co-op? Like, why are the lines so long? They're not, you know, there were lines for, I think, most grocery stores at some point, but never to that extreme. And it was because they were so limiting how many people could be in there at a time. They were being super, they were super aware of the fact that their store is much smaller than other grocery stores. And so therefore their capacity had to be smaller. They just really took the whole thing so seriously. So to me, like, obviously waiting in that line was not my favorite thing, but it felt totally worth it to be in an environment where I just felt incredibly safe and and taken care of and, like, looked out for, you know? Mm, Yeah, 
both as like a shopper and as a employee in the sense of the word of working and and whatnot. Um, so lines are also a thing though outside the time of COVID. You're saying um, generally like line ticket in the store were never a thing before because I don't know. I don't feel like like indoor capacities was really something anybody talked about. I know that every building, yeah. right, like has a has a technic technically has a capacity, but so yeah, so a line ticket in the store was never existed before and it's mostly gone away now. I would say like every once in a while there's a few people kind of waiting to get in at really busy times. But once you're in the store, a line to check out is fairly common. Okay. That's that's more understandable because that's a more universal experience, I think. It was just funny to see, especially on the Park Slope social media, and, you know, be all these comments of, like, nine-minute wait time at 2.15 p.m. today, and then someone else would be, like, three-minute wait time at 5.15 p.m. today. I was just going to say, I feel like that is – that is, like, the perfect example of, like, a community coming together in a time Yeah, that's need, what I was right? going <laughs> Yeah, it was – and that was completely organic. I, As far as I know, that was not started by the co-op. The co-op has always had a pretty decent, like, Instagram presence, and so they were just kind of posting. And then members started commenting on their posts, you know, I'm in line and this is how far away I am and this is I'm in front of like this bank or whatever that's like two blocks away in line and it became like a full crowdsource, fully crowdsourcing the line and it it's like genius, right? It's like why did we never think to do this before? I do think there are certain like innovations that will come out of this time that will stick with us, but that it's certainly one of them, and now the co-op posts to post every day, and everybody, even though there's usually not a line, like if there is, people crowdsource the line in the comments, and it's great. Before you even leave your apartment, you can check and see if there's a line. It was certainly amazing when, you know, the line could be six blocks long. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of blocks and all of that, I do really – it's kind of a pivot, but back to what we were talking about. So what other jobs can people have? aside from the ones you did, um, and I'm specifically asking this question because I want to talk about the cart pushers because that is something that I think no one in the Littleton, New Hampshire area has any experience with, but they might want. Who knows? Yes, definitely. Um, yes, the cart return program, very happy to talk about that. I know that that is very unique. I've certainly never seen it anywhere else. And it's probably one of the things the co-op's most famous for, at least here in the neighborhood, because you literally, like, see people pushing these carts around. Um, I was a cart uh, return person for a while when, you know, on that same shopping squad when I – sometimes if I didn't get there in time or was a little, just a little bit late, you know, uh, all the checkout spots would be full. And so I would do cart return, which on a, on a nice weather day is, like, the best job ever. You basically wait outside the co-op, right outside the door, and you wear a, a nice, you know, reflective vest that says Park Club Food Co-op on it, so you're very official. <laughs> and when members come out with, like, a cart full of food, they just like a regular shopping cart, you can pack it up full of food and walk it out of the co-op, and then someone, one of these 
member workers will actually walk you with your cart to your home, to your car, to the train, you know, wherever you're headed, as long as, of course, we have a radius and it has to be within, I don't know if it's like a mile, but there's an actual like map at the co-op that shows you like how far they will go, although I have pushed that a couple of times um, <laughs> when, I, when I didn't live so close. But, yeah, you basically you walk with them in their car, and it's kind of great because you just could chat about whatever. You get to meet people and be outside, and then they unload their groceries into their home or their car or whatever, and then you bring the empty cart back to the co-op. So it's a really – it's a great system, and it's I think it's pretty amazing. I rarely take advantage of it now because I live so close, but especially for people, you know, where pushing a cart is not, like, the easiest thing to do or – you know, what, whatever have you, like, it's in New York, carrying groceries home is, like, a constant annoyance because most people don't have a car that they're just parking in the parking lot right outside the door. Like, they're carrying these bags on their shoulders, you know, sometimes several train stops away. I lived in Manhattan for a year, and I schlepped over to the co-op, and I schlepped those groceries back on the train. <laughs> so at least having a little bit of help for, for part of the journey was pretty huge yeah it's definitely something no one here in a very car heavy area would think there's a need for but clearly there is yeah i'm sure it really helps increase the membership for all idea of even factoring in like you know just because you're going to have trouble doing this very urban very small grocery shopping doesn't mean you can't be a member and you can't shop here. Like, we're we're going to help you in that co-op way of ours. Yeah, exactly. I think it, it opens up options for a lot of people in a, in a great way. Sometimes you have to wait a little while for a walker, as we call them, walkers, to be available. But it's, uh, it can definitely be a game change. Mm. So other than being able to shop, which is what we've talked about mostly, are there other benefits to membership, whether tangible or intangible slash ideal? Yeah, I would say, you know, we've talked a little bit about just kind of generally the community of the co-op, but the co-op hosts, uh, the Park Slope co-op hosts a lot of kind of local events for members. And actually, most of their events are open to the general public as well, which is great. So I think, you know, if you're a person like me that's always kind of looking for things to do and ways to get involved, those can be great. I know they do, like, a kids' talent show every year. Park Slope is, like, notoriously a a very family-oriented neighborhood, lots of kids. So they do – that's a big event. They do – um, like card making workshops, they do a lot of, of course, food events, whether it's tastings or um, they have a film series that's mostly films about food and how food is grown, and then they'll do discussions. And all of the events are, I believe, almost all of them are free. Or if it's like a tasting, sometimes there's like a small fee to cover, you know, the food or whatnot. But having that as an option, which again, I think most of these are open to the public, so it's not even necessarily a member benefit, but you obviously are more in the know if you're a member and you can actually find out about them. I think that's that's an amazing benefit. Another thing I will speak about, again, in terms of like getting to be just more involved in what happens at your grocery store, the Parkville Food Co-op actually has um, like a request system where you can request products um, or suggest products that 
maybe you've seen at a different grocery store or somewhere else, and you want them to be stocked at the co-op so that you can buy them, there's like a big book at the entrance desk, and you can go up and write your suggested product in there, and you give them like as much information as you have about it. And then somebody goes and looks it up and see if it's possible for them to get it at the co-op. And as far as I know, that is not a service offered at most grocery stores, and I have definitely taken advantage of it. It's definitely a service offered at the Littleton Food Co-op, though. Oh, good. It's it's not exactly a big book, but I'm sure it's probably some member owner's job to to look through the book and to do that. But, no, I think that's. Uh, not a common thing overall, but it, it's a more common at co-op thing because, again, you're investing in the co-op, so we want you to have a good return on said investment. And if that return is, you know, pineapple, relish, flavored hot dogs that you can cook in the microwave or whatever other weird products you can think of, then so be it. That's right. So on that side of of shopping and getting products, as we've been saying, the Park Slope Co-op says that one of the reasons it does this member labor model is for the prices to stay so low. Payroll is one of the biggest expenses of any business, and the Co-op puts out the stat that they – have members doing about 75% of the work, and that is supposed to help pass on lower prices on products to the members. Do you find that to be true? Like, do you – well, I don't know if you do any shopping anywhere else, but do you find that the prices of your co-op are comparable to a standard grocery store? So – One million percent, the co-op prices are cheaper than any other grocery store I've ever seen. And it's for exactly the reason that you've stated, which is they are able to keep their overhead costs so low so that the markup on all of their products can also remain extremely low. And I, I forget, they always, I think they tell you in orientation what the standard, you might know actually, what the standard markup is on products, like a percentage at normal grocery stores. It's something crazy. It's like 60 or 70% to cover to cover the cost of labor. Um, the co-op's markup, I believe, until recently was something like 20, 21, 23% very low. The co-op market has been very, very low since their founding. They did recently vote to increase the markup because of the pandemic and the increased cost of having to hire labor. But that markup is 100%. You feel it in everything that you buy because it's just like a, you know, a percentage amount, like, tacked on to to everything. So um, I do once in a while shop at other grocery stores when, you know, absolutely forced to. And it's become a joke among my friends because usually if I'm at another grocery store, it's because I'm, like, stopping in with a friend while they, you know, pick up a gallon of milk or something. And I am intolerable at other grocery stores because (laughs) all I can talk about is how much more expensive everything is than at the co-op. And I think it becomes much more obvious on, like, things that are, like, a fixed price, right? Like, oh, this shampoo or these vitamins or this toilet paper – 
you know, I know exactly how much it is at the co-op because I buy it all the time and it's so cheap. And then I see it at like, I'm not going to name names, but you know, other like (laughs) organic, like nice grocery stores. And I swear sometimes it's twice the price or, you know, at least a few dollars more. And it's, it's just wild to me that like, I'm like, you can get these same things at the first club food co-op and they're so much more affordable and it's the exact same product. So yes, it absolutely is a huge, like probably the biggest benefit of being a member of the co-op, especially in New York where everything is insanely expensive is your grocery bill is just always going to be so much lower, which over time, you know, I don't know about you, but my grocery bill is one of my number one expenses. I love to cook. I love trying new foods. So, you know, I, I spend a lot of money at the grocery store and being a member of the co-op has made that much easier for me. I will also say the co-op is very transparent about their pricing. They actually list every single produce item on their website and the price and they update it, I would assume, every day because the the produce is constantly changing at the co-op depending on seasonality and availability. You can actually, before you even go to the store, go on their website and look up whatever it is you want to buy and see how much it is per pound or how much it is per bunch or whatever whatever it is. You can kind of plan a little bit as well. Oh, wow. I am personally, I think, intolerable at other grocery stores because I don't know about you, but having that cashier experience, I will, like, go to check out and find myself playing the role of the person behind the checkout. Like, I will yes. start asking this random person, like, are you a member with us? Uh-huh. And I'm like, Anna, that doesn't even make sense in the context of the store. Also, you're not working. <laughs> also, like, maybe get a life. I don't know. But, but yeah, it, it always is a very different experience going into a store that's not a co-op, and that's not, like, your co-op specifically, and, and looking at prices and all that. So I know you'd mentioned earlier in terms of product selection that your co-op does pay attention to seasonality of, I'm assuming, produce and maybe some other things. So do you always find that you're able to get everything that you need from Park Slope, or do you have to outsource? if you will, for does the seasonality mean that in the winter you won't find any tomatoes at all? Or, yeah, can you explain that a little more? Yeah, that's it's a good question. And I think the co-op has – I'm sorry that I just refer to it as the, as the co-op, but, you know, that's what it is for me. So That's what we're used <laughs> to. Like, I'm, I'm doing it too, you know. Yes, um, they have definitely evolved on this over time. You know, I've only been a member for, oh my goodness, nine years, but I know there was a time, and this honestly may have been back in like the 80s or something, but I have heard from people that have been members basically since the founding that they were so small then and really just getting started and were so focused on that seasonality and things being local that it was limited and you couldn't always find you know strawberries in the winter or whatever it is and I'm sure that there was pushback around that because you know it's different to just be like this wonderful little paradise of a grocery store that just has certain things whatever but if you really want to be able to serve everybody and be open to everybody you I think you do need a diversity of products and I, I think they realize that and so I have never found 
that I wanted something, you know, something relatively normal and couldn't find it at the co-op. Is there, you definitely see like the variety and selection change. So, you know, in the winter, we'll get oranges that we don't normally have the rest of the year because it's citrus season. And so like my favorite oranges I know are only going to be there whatever, you know, January, February, March, or what have you. And I think that's becoming more typical of, like, other kind of natural food stores. Um, but can you find a navel orange, like, most months of the year at the co-op? Like, probably you can find something that's going to meet that need if you need that for a recipe or whatnot. I would say the only other thing is, of course, you're not going to find, like, certain specific brands at the co-op. Like, for example, there are these seaweed snacks that I get from Trader Joe's, and they're Trader Joe's brand, and I love them, and I've never found any other ones like them, and, like, I'm never going to see those at the co-op, and I've <laughs> kind of accepted that. But, again, there's, like, the product suggestion book, so if there is something that's probably not quite that specific, but something like that, you can always suggest it, and then they'll look into it. On the inverse of that, do you find products at the co-op that you can't seem to find anywhere else when you do take the rare trip somewhere else? I would say I don't know that there's anything that I'm like, oh, I've never seen this somewhere other than the co-op. But I will say that, like, there are items that have been prohibitively expensive at other stores that I just never considered buying that I will try at the co-op because it's reasonable. The first thing that comes to mind for me is cheese. Um, mm. And this is like the first thing I saw at the co-op when I went on my tour that I was like, oh my God, like I have died and gone to cheese heaven. So <laughs> the co-op not only has an insane, insane inventory of cheese, but they actually cut all of it in-house. That's a, that's a job. It's called food processing and it's a highly coveted position. They work in the basement. They put on very, like, nice, soothing music, and they all just, like, quietly, like, package the bulk food into, like, little baggies or cut the cheese into slices, and it seems absolutely amazing. I've never done it, but I'm I'm a big fan. I'm sure it's highly coveted because it's so relaxing, but probably also because, like, oh, you know, no one will notice if I take a little, a little end off here, a little nut off here, a little... <laughs> I know. I always wonder, like, how much food sampling are they doing down there in food processing? But, yeah, because it's all processed in-house, same thing with the bulk goods, you know, the the nuts and the dried fruits and the trail mixes and those things, like, it keeps the prices so low because, again, you're just not paying for that, that labor to go through and cut all that cheese. So there are certain cheeses that, like, you know, I've probably seen at another grocery store and just been like, wow, that cheese sounds amazing. I will literally never buy it because it's, like, $24 for, like, a little slice or whatever. And then at the co-op, I'm, like, just hoarding cheese, just, like, piles of cheese <laughs> into my cart. You know, cheese and co-ops seem to have this really strong, magical connection. So much so that I think probably 95% of the episodes we've done so far have somehow come back to cheese. And, you know, I think, I just think that's a beautiful thing. I mean, all Truly. things should eventually come back to cheese, right? You know what? This, this is why I picked you. This is why <laughs> my heart knew to run after you. So in having these kind of product expansions, has, to your knowledge, the co-op done any, like, physical expansions, or is it just now we're putting 
five times more products and produce and all of that in the same square footage as we had in 1973. They have done an expansion, and I have no idea when it happened because it was certainly before my time, but they occupied one building on Union Street, where they still are, and then they ended up, I believe, buying the building next door, basically, and, you know, tearing down a wall. And not only did that give them a lot more shopping floor space, much, much needed shopping floor space, it also, I believe that's when they were able to build out, like, a second floor, which is where now all of the co-op offices are, as well as a room that's used for events and the um, orientation, the member orientations. It also is where childcare happens. So this is another, I forgot about this, another amazing benefit of membership at the co-op is they actually offer childcare while you're shopping. So if you are someone that has children with you while you're shopping, you can take them up there. Um, I've never done this. I don't have children, but, you know, you check them in. And then while you're shopping, there is a member worker on the childcare squad that is hanging out with your kids and, you know, making sure they're, at least mostly taking care of while you're, while you're away. And then when you're done shopping, you go up, you go up and pick them up. And, you know, there's definitely the occasional page out about, um, um, excuse me, can, uh, James, mom, please come up to childcare. And you can just hear like the wailing oh, in the no. background. <laughs> <laughs> but I think for the most part, it's a really great system, which again, just makes shopping so much more accessible to parents and other people with children because you know, otherwise I assume you're just kind of dragging them around the store. I remember going grocery shopping with my mom as a kid. It was not like your experience. I hated it, and I just wanted to leave there as soon as possible, and I was so bored. Um, and I think if I had had, like, a room to go play in, I probably would have left it. Yeah, and I'm thinking if you can utilize the service while you're working, too, and you're having the same consistent shifts every month, then the same consistent kids are being there at the same time every month. And then, you know, we have some co-op friendships. And who doesn't like that? Yeah, that's true. I never thought about it that way. I, I, there are probably little, like, mini squads of kids that their parents don't work <laughs> at the same time. I love that idea. We're just raising the next generation of cooperators. Exactly. Something I thought of, too, you were talking about the new member tour. Could it be that people's member orientation tour is, like, their first time being in the store they're going to be shopping and working at? Absolutely. I'm guessing for most people it probably is. Like you said, unless you've been there with a friend or a family member who is a member, you probably have never made it past the pearly front gates, right? So I do think... <laughs> A lot of people, and, you know, you can do the orientation and then decide, like, oh, this actually isn't for me. It's not like they, you know, take your name at the door and you're you're locked in for life or anything. But, <laughs> yeah, I am guessing that most people come do that orientation, go on that tour, and probably have the experience that I did, which was, like, I walked in being, like, I definitely want to join this co-op. And then I went on that tour and was, like, literally, where do I sign? Like, I need to be a member immediately, if not sooner. <laughs> so, it's like, once you just, like, See the, I remember for me too, it was the cheese and it was shampoo. There was the shampoo that I used to get at Target and it was probably like $10 a bottle. And I saw it at the co-op and I think it was like six bucks. And I was just like, oh, okay. Yep. Mm -hmm, sign me up. I'm ready. We have had 
many employees come for the cheese. Uh, maybe bulk, too. Shampoo is a new one, though. Um, we'll have to work on that. <laughs> but also in terms of products, a big thing here at Littleton Food Co-op, and I know many other co-ops, is local. We love local. We love buying from vendors as small and as close to us as possible for many different reasons. Does Park Slope Food Co-op have that same sort of emphasis on local food? And also, if you know, like, what do you consider to be local? What's your definition? Yeah, they definitely there is an emphasis on local. I I think that's just kind of becoming an emphasis everywhere, to be honest, right? Like most grocery stores now have, like, a local section because people are starting to think more about where their food's coming from, how it's getting to them, and the impact of that entire process. I think this has been a priority for the co-op since the beginning. They've always had a focus on this. However, they, I, I think, are also aware of the fact that, like, obviously we live in an extremely urban area, like metropolitan area. So, you know, I'm not sure about Littleton, but I'm guessing that the closest farm to your food co-op is probably, I don't know, down the road, right? Like, not, not literally, literally down there with your neighbors. They're in your backyard. And then, obviously, Brooklyn is just a little bit different, although we are starting to have some really cool, like, rooftop uh, gardens and urban farms and things like that. That's a, another movement I'm super involved in and, and a huge um, fan of. But because of that, the co-op, they have a policy, I think it's called 500 miles to local. So they're, they kind of draw a big circle around New York City that encompasses a 500-mile radius. And how did they choose 500 miles? It's because 500 miles is like approximately one, like, truck drive away, like one day in a truck to drive to New York City and deliver your goods um, is about 500 miles. And that's just to make sure that everything is as fresh as possible, getting to the co-op as quickly as possible. The turnover rate at Parkville Food Co-op is insane. I don't, like, have actual numbers to support this, but any, like, vegetable put out in the morning is probably going to be gone by that night just because of how big the membership is and how many people are coming through. So between all of those things, you know, only taking a day to get there and being picked up so quickly, everything you're getting is just, like, insanely fresh. So, yeah, I think, like, that's been their policy for a while, and, it, you know, it, I think it works while taking into consideration the fact that, like, we have to adjust to our circumstances as a New York City co-op. Mm. So our definition as a Wilson Food Co-op is 100 miles. So sure. either from, say, New Hampshire, from Vermont, or 100 miles. So 100 miles is basically, like, all of New Hampshire and Vermont, but then you get you know, a little bit of Maine, a little bit of this and that. So it's a little bit crazy from our perspective to think that you and I could both have the same product stock at our co-op and then both be considered local. Yeah, that is really interesting. And I think to me, it's about, it's all about transparency, right? Which is why I appreciate that the co-op isn't, they're not trying to like get one over on you by being like, this is local. And it's like, oh wait, this came from Canada. They're very clear with like what local means. And then you can make your decision. I will say they also, when you're actually shopping in the co-op, a lot of times the the little like labels that say the price and whatnot will actually say like where the item, the produce is from. 
So you can mm-hmm. also use your, your own judgment, right? Like, okay, these mangoes, I don't know why I keep coming back to mangoes. I love mangoes. They're my favorite <laughs> fruit. That's probably why. I also know that mangoes, I think, are like the number one produce sale at the Park Slope Food Co-op. So I think Brooklynites in general just love mangoes. But anyways, <laughs> you're, yeah, you love mangoes, yeah. Dried mango is a big part of that, too. If you're weighing these two different mangoes and deciding which one to get, and you can see, like, oh, this one is from California, this one is from Mexico, whatever, you can use that information to make your own kind of empowered buying decision. Mm, mm, That's good. And that's still, even if it's a different definition of local, you know, like, we always talk about here, no one has to be completely perfect. You know, we it's all about doing what you can to incrementally create change and create a better place so especially given your circumstances so even if it's not 100 miles even if it's 500 or a thousand or whatever it may be you're still a putting the word out there that local is better and b you're you're making a conscientious effort so i 100 percent yeah so that's kind of all that I had thought about. I'm sure I'm going to go home tonight and be sitting in bed and think about more questions for three hours. Um, <laughs> but I feel like I can't let you leave without answering my favorite question to ask anyone who knows anything about co-op is what is your favorite thing to buy at your co-op, the Park Slope Food Co-op? This one is an easy one for me. It starts with the product suggestion book. So I suggested a product a while ago. And by a while ago, I mean like, I don't know, six years ago maybe. It was pretty early in my co-op days because I was a huge fan of it and I really wanted to be able to buy it at a co-op. Put it in the book, never heard anything. A couple years later, put it in the book again, you know, just, just that little nudge, just that little ping. Didn't hear anything. And I think it was like three years ago now, maybe. I don't know if that math lines up. But finally, I walked in and there it was on the shelf. And that product is my all-time favorite ice cream, Jenny's Ice Cream. It is local to Columbus, Ohio, where I'm from, and has now started expanding all over the country. But she, Jenny is a real person. She does not have an actual shop in New York City. So while I could buy pints, if I could find them in a grocery store, which was really hard, they usually cost like $12 a pint. And I love this ice cream, and I would pay that amount, but I felt really bad doing it. So the day that I was able to buy Jenny's ice cream at my co-op, and not just by chance, because I was a part of actually getting it on the shelves, that was an amazing day. And obviously now whenever I'm at the co-op and see someone like looking at the ice cream, I like take it upon myself to be like, you see that ice cream? I got that ice cream here. It's the best ice cream in the world. You should definitely buy it. Oh, and it's way, way, way cheaper. I think it's like 7 or $8 a pint, which is still a lot for ice cream. But I promise it's totally worth it. If anybody listening ever sees Jenny's ice cream out in the world, trust me, buy it. You won't regret it. There's my plug. I'm a huge ice cream fan, so that money, like, justification is, is totally makes sense to me. And I absolutely love that story. I think that's a great high note to finish on. And I also absolutely love all of this. I feel like I learned so much. You know, that was basically just like a crash course 
at the fake co-op university I just made up, and I will highly recommend you for a position there. Amazing. I wish you the best with the rest of your co-op working, you know, until you can retire from Park Slope. But yeah, Ashley, thank you so much. This was really great, and I'm really glad you were here to give all of us a little, just a little more information about the institution that is the Park Slope Food Co-op. Absolutely. My pleasure. It never ceases to amaze me how two cooperatives can appear to be so different on the surface, yet so similar on the deepest and sometimes funniest of levels. Like, we don't require a membership to shop here at the Littleton Food Co-op, and there's no member work requirement. But we do support the idea of membership for all, and our most popular bulk item is definitely dried mangoes too. So thank you again to Ashley for sharing her experiences so we can learn more about the collective cooperative experience we all somehow seem to have no matter where we are. I look forward to coming to Brooklyn someday and using your guest pass to try some Jenny's ice cream. Maybe we can all make a pilgrimage to Park Slope. In the meantime, check out some of our other episodes to hear more personal experiences with other diverse co-ops. Have a co-op experience you'd like to share? Reach out! If you liked this episode, make sure to leave us a rating or review on whatever platform you're listening on. Five stars preferred. Unless it's out of ten stars, then like... 10 is preferred. And until next time, remember to eat, sleep, and be rad. Rad is a production of the Littleton Food Co-op. Anastasia Marr directs and hosts. Jesse Smith and Annie Stewart produce. Becky Colpitz provides unrelenting positivity and moral support. The Littleton Food Co-op is Littleton, New Hampshire's community-owned grocery store. We put our money where your mouth wants to be. Local farms, of course. No membership is required to shop here. Come check us out sometime just off exit 41 at 43 Bethlehem Road in Littleton. Or if you're online, check us out at littletoncoop.com.